sniff the whole way through this, please forgive me. Shouldn't have started that. Um, I glanced at my mum there. Sorry, mum, I wasn't meaning. I know you don't like sniffing, so I apologise to you specifically. <laughs> um, good morning. Great to see you this morning. Um, can I say this? What Wednesday, Neville said we're talking about... Uh, Neville said we're praying on Wednesday. Uh, if you remember, the, just before Christmas, we, we, uh, we started a... We started a bi-weekly cycle. Once every other week we gathered to pray for, for something specific. We felt God leading us to pray that uh, into those verses in Luke chapter 4, verse 17, that people would uh, be set free. We would see chains being loosed. And um, once we spent our time praying into that, we felt God really stir our hearts for for those suffering with mental health. And we spent weeks and weeks just praying into that, asking God for for clarity and direction and how we how we respond to needs of mental health. We did all of that in our in our prayer time. We still want to be sensitive to all of that. Um but over the next over the next while I almost don't want I actually don't want it to stop. I don't want to put a start date to this and an end date to this, but we just I just, we just have felt a real urgency to do almost what we've done this morning. Didn't do that this morning just to lead us into Wednesday night, but on Wednesday nights, every other Wednesday night, that's all we're going to do. We're just going to worship Jesus and cry out for him on behalf of the lost. And it should be the very fabric of who we are, but sometimes we just we just need to be so intentional. We just need to create, set aside space and time that that is what we're going to do. And so, if you can't make Wednesday nights and you want us just to cry out for lost family and lost friends, we would uh, we'd encourage you to, to, to let us let us do that. But if you can't be here, that's what we're going to do. And we would uh, love it that you would come and join with us as we cry out for the lost. Um, and, in the, and in setting all of that, I just want to keep drawing our attention to fasting. I want to keep doing it. We said last week we didn't want just this to be a tip of the hat towards fasting and uh, and move on and we'll pick it up again next year. This We want this to be at the core of who we are. Three things that Jesus, I think, made it pretty clear that would show our Christian devotion was in how we give and how we pray and how we fast. And, uh, and to begin to make this part of the rhythm of my life is has been really important and I felt this week that God was saying because uh, it's going to look differently for everybody else I've set aside certain meals and certain times that I'm going to do this for some it's going to be different and for some it might be seven days and we might think they're the holiest of the holy for some it might be one meal a week and you know what that's fine because if it means something to you it means something to him and I felt him just reminding me of that this this week. If you are taking this seriously, I am taking you seriously. If you're taking this sacrifice seriously, whether it's seven days or it's one meal, I'm taking it seriously. And there's something about there's something about that sacrifice, or something about doing that, something about fasting that 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 is able to show that 
in a way that some other things can't. And so let me keep on encouraging you that maybe as we maybe we combine the two and we begin to fast, we begin to cry out for the lost in those times of of uh, of worship and laying some stuff aside. Let me pray for a moment. Father, I pray that this uh, that your word would just come alive in me today. It would come alive to each one of us as we as we see and search your word to see what you have to say. Thank you that your word is living. It's active. Lord, it is always something to say. It is something to reveal to us even now. And we ask for hearts that are open, minds that are receptive to what you want to say. We're here in these moments for you. Would you be pleased with what is said, with what is listened to, with what's received in Jesus' name? We're still, uh, we're still looking at this at this word. Behold, um, spend some time before Christmas. Picked it up again in the new year. Just finding points, parts of the of the scriptures that. Uh, that use this word behold. And in the Greek it, it is a word that says that we stop. That we look a bit closer. That we pay attention. And we're coming closer to actually experience something. This, would, this word behold. Behold means. Last week we were in Isaiah 43 verses 18 and 19. We ended up just reading through that whole, the rest of that whole chapter because it felt like, like God was saying a wee bit more to us than just that one verse. But we looked at, uh, behold, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Today we are we're going to read, we're going to look at in the Second Corinthians chapter 5. Our key verse is, uh, verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. But the words of Paul to the church in Corinth here, I, I, I find them some of the most incredible parts uh, of, of, of the Bible. I really do. And let, me read, uh, let me read from verse 14. Let me read from verse 14 to 17. And uh, I'm unsure a couple of things from that. For Christ's love compels us, verse 14, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view Though we, we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. Some of your versions won't have 
behold in it. But trust me, in the original, in the original Greek, that word was, was there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. And in fact, I'll go back to this in a bit. But the original is behold, the new has emerged. And I think there's something significant about that. I'd love to pick on up pick up on that in a bit but let me just go back to the verse 17 when it uses language that Paul is uh, Paul loves to use this language this phrase is so familiar in much of Paul's writings so if you spend any time especially around the first chapter of Ephesians Paul is using this word in Christ he just, just keeps on using this language in Christ he uses it in Galatians, we see him using it often to the church at Corinth. And, and I just wanted to pause for a moment just to, to consider again this, what this means, the significance of this little phrase, in Christ. There's, prob- there's probably so much that it does mean. But the three things that I felt that I that wanted to highlight from what it is to, to be in Christ is first of all that you belong to him. You now belong to him. And there's a verse, there's a verse, I think it's probably Paul. He says that that you've been bought with a price. You're no longer your own. And again, just to just to use this language that I think that we are probably becoming increasingly familiar with, at least I hope we are is that you, each one of you as an individual, you are of such value. You are of unsurpassable worth. That the Father did all that he could so that relationship with you could be restored. There is such a value in each and every one of you guys. He looks upon you and sees someone of indescribable worth. That the Father did all that he could so that relationship with you could be restored. That is really good news. It's really good news. And and so we belong. That's who we belong to. We belong to him. But being in Christ also means that we are now formed and shaped by the power of Christ who lives in us. We're formed and shaped by the power of Christ who now lives in us. Paul uses something around this sort of language in Galatians chapter 2. I think it's verse 20 and 21 that, uh, that, the, that the Christ, it's now Christ that lives in me. Christ lives in me. The hope of glory. So we belong to him. We're now formed and shaped by the power of Christ who lives in us. And it also means, and sometimes we we are really we love those first two bits. We get those. Sometimes this can be a bit trickier, but being in Christ also means that we belong to the body of Christ. There's almost a belonging to one another. There is something that there's something that is so significant about the relationships with those who are also in Christ. We now belong collectively. We now belong to the body of Christ. We belong to Him. We're formed and shaped by the power of him who lives in us. And we 
belong to the body of Christ. See, I love these verses. These verses, if, you wanna, if, you want, if you're using the language around transformation, this is, this is the definition of transformation. The old has gone and the new has come. The old has gone, the new has come. And so for me, the, the, the idea of transformation is, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a funny one almost, because I love the idea of transformation. But if, if I'm being really honest, I love the idea of transformation, but I want it to be, to be quick, and I want it to be painless. I want to be changed. I want to be continually transformed into his likeness, but I want it done really quick, and I want it done with as little pain as possible. Anybody else like me? Billy's the only honest one among you. But I love what, what, what's going on here. I love what's going on in this whole, in this whole section of Paul's letter. Because he's saying that, that, it's, that his love, once his, it's his love that compels us. He's telling us in verse 16 that your mind, be, your mind is renewing. There's something shifting now in the way that you think. So his love compels us. Our minds begin this state of renewal. And our hearts become aligned with, with his. Our hearts, our hearts become in tune with his heart. And so, so what begins to happen is that we begin to love what he loves. It begins to happen. It's, it takes a bit of time. It, it, but it's whenever his love compels us, our minds become renewed. We start to, our hearts start to beat the same way his does because we're in tune with the Father. We're, we've aligned ourselves with him. And we begin to love what he loves. We begin to hate what he hates. And there's things that we once had no problem with. Maybe, maybe as David has alluded to already, relationships that we, are, that we are in or things that we consume our time with or things that we watch on TV or in the, at the cinema. There's things that we once had no problem with that now we do have a problem with. There's, there's people even that we maybe had a problem with that now we all of a sudden we have no problem with. His love has compelled us. Our minds are being renewed. We're aligning ourselves to his. And, and that, takes, that takes a couple of minutes to explain. It can take years and years for that to be a reality. But that is when you know that the old is passing away. You know the old is passing away when you begin to be passionate about the things that he is passionate about. You come here, and this is not, to, this is, please don't hear, this is a guilt trip to be here on Wednesday nights. But you know that when the, all the, after work, sometimes it's hard on a Wednesday night. I know that. I come home and go, come to a family and have my dinner, and then I'm out. There's times where it's not all that easy, but actually, whenever we love the things that he loves, when we're passionate about the things that he is passionate about, and I can guarantee you he is passionate about, he is passionate about lost people coming to himself he's passionate about that and so we begin to become passionate about the things that he is passionate about it's when you know the old is passing away verse 16 says we regard no one from a worldly point of view we used to regard christ from a worldly point of view but we do so no longer 
which we used to look at saying here, Paul's saying that we used to look at other people from a, from a worldly point of view. We used to look at Jesus from this same point of view. And I think what Paul is, is, is suggesting, what Paul is saying to the church, is that you thought that the coming of Jesus was going to be, he was going to be one that came and qualified you based on your performance. He was going to come and qualify based on you and how good you were. He, you were going to be qualified based on whether you were part of the in crowd. You were going to be qualified based on whether or not you had messed up. That's what we thought Jesus would come and do. We see that even we see that in the disciples. They thought Jesus was going to come wipe out everybody else that wasn't part of the in crowd, wipe out everybody else that wasn't uh, that didn't have the right name or didn't come from the right postcode. He was going to wipe them all out. King Jesus was going to rule and that's what they anticipated. Even in Acts chapter 1 they said, now is the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. They had, they had missed the, they had missed the true nature of Jesus. Their thoughts about what he was, what Jesus was going to look like, what he was going to come and do, turned out not to be true at all. He was going to be one who would become the least. He was going to be one who would become a servant. He was going to be one that would sacrifice it all so that all could come to repentance, so that all could come back into relationship with him. But it's funny because we, 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 th- we thought that's how Jesus was going to look like, and that's sometimes how we view other people. We are ones who regard people from a worldly point of view. We sometimes are guilty of that. We qualify people based on their performance. We qualify people based on whether they are part of the in crowd. We qualify them whether they, how much they have messed up. But I think Paul is suggesting when this, when this begins to happen in you, whenever his love compels us, whenever our minds begin this, this state of being renewed, then you'll not look at people the same way that you used to. You'll not look at the gospel. You'll not look at the story of Jesus in the same way that you used to. You'll not put your own prejudice to, towards the story of the gospel. You'll not put your own prejudice towards uh, how you see and how you view other people. That old way is gone. That old way is passing away. He is inviting us, as we'll see in a few verses, he is inviting us to be his ambassadors of reconciliation. And in a time as we, regardless of what your opinion is on our political climate or your opinion on the political climate in the United States, nothing changes. It changes nothing on the responsibility and the role of the church. We remain ambassadors of reconciliation regardless of who or what is in power. And it feels like these words to us are really important today. That old way of thinking needs to continue to pass away. There is a new way. There is a new way of thinking. 
the new has come. We are now in Christ. And because we're in Christ, we are a new creation. See, I love, I love the fact that being in Christ means that we now belong to the body. Because I, I don't know about you, but we, I, I can't do this by myself. I love being belonging to the body because our church, us collectively, we can't do this by ourselves. Emmanuel can't do it by themselves. Whether they've got seven, eight hundred people going to their church, they can't do it by themselves. The biggest church in Rich Hill is probably the Presbyterian, but they can't win Rich Hill by themselves. So that's why it's beautiful. I love that we belong to the body of Christ. Being in Christ means that a win for Emmanuel, a win for the Presbyterian is a win for us. We belong to the body. We're in Christ. That's now who we are a part of. And so if we're in Christ, we are a new creation. And so let me, let me say this, that I love when Paul uses this word creation. Because when Paul is using the word creation, he is meaning all that God is doing. All that God is doing. When Paul uses this word creation, he's talking about the workings of God. What is it that he is doing? And that's what Paul is talking about here when he says that we are a new creation. God is doing something. So anyone who is in Christ is now part of what God is doing in making all things new. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is, this is, this is so important because it now means that all that God is doing, it now means that anyone who is in Christ is now part of what God is doing in making all things new. That is true for each one of you. It is true for us individually. It is true for us corporately. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a part of what God is doing in making all things new. Please hear that this morning. If all of this other stuff is, you're not running with it, grasp that, take hold of that. He is, we talked about it last week, the Father is always working. Jesus said it in John chapter 5, the Father is always at work. He is always recreating. He is always reforming. He is always resetting. That's what he's doing, and he is doing it because he is trying to restore. He is restoring all creation back to the glory of what it was like before it was fractured by sin. Ever since Adam and Eve decided to go their own way, to do their own thing, God has, God has been restoring and resetting and reforming. Finds a climax in the person of Jesus and he's continuing this work of restoring and resetting all things. He's restoring it back to the glory that it was, that it looked like before it was fractured by sin. That's what he's doing. He's always doing that. He's always at work. And it's incredible to me that that is what you and me have been invited into. We have been invited into this, this, this ministry of reconciliation. This restoration of all things. The glory 
that was the incredible glory that Adam and Eve could have enjoyed just being with him, being the object of his affection, being ones that they would just walk in the coolness of day. They gave it up. They gave up the rights. They gave up the authority. And Jesus came back and, and took, took it back, took back the authority that Adam and Eve lost took back the rights that Adam and Eve gave up. And as he went back to be with the Father and intercede on our behalf, he had taken that authority back. He had taken the rights back and then gave them to us. And we, are, we have been since and continue to be part of what he is doing in making all things new. Inviting us in. Inviting us in to his his restoration program, his reconciliation program. He continues to invite us in on that. Last week when we looked at Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19, it felt like there was this call to the people of God that they would see and respond to God's hand of preparation. See, it said that I will, it said in Isaiah 43, a few verses after 18, I think in 20 and 21, said that uh, making a way, he is making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Behold, I'm making all things new. Can you not see it? I'm making, I'm making a way in the desert. I'm making streams in the wasteland. He's inviting us to see and to respond to his hand of preparation. He's inviting us to see and respond to his hand of purpose. And he's always, he's always been carving out a path. He's always been carving out a path that, that, that water would get to people, that life, streams of living water would make its way to people. He's always been carving out those paths in the most unlikely places. And so where streams would not naturally be found in the desert or in the wasteland, God is saying that if you have eyes to see, if you will see, if you will stop and pay attention and come closer, you will see and be able to respond to where I'm carving out these ways, where I'm carving out these paths. Because I'm longing that I get streams of water, streams of life to the most broken places, to the most deserted places. Oh, that we would see that where he is making all things new. See, he invited his people in Israel's time to see the new thing that he was doing, to see where he was carving out these paths. He was doing it here again in Second Corinthians chapter 5. He was doing it again in Paul's time. He was saying, he was sending his people to see and to respond to the new creation, to the new, the new has come. He's inviting us to respond and see that. And I think he is still doing the same in our time. He is still recreating. He is still working. He is still carving out paths. And his invitation remains the same to us. Come and be involved in this. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you're now part of it. You're now part of all that I am doing in making all things new. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This word new has been my, probably my word of the week. In the Greek, this word new is kenos. K-A-I-N-O-S. Kenos. And, and it's the same, this word new, it's the same, it's the, the kenos is the same word to describe the, the new commandment that Jesus gave. It's the same new that, that Jesus used when he talked about the wineskin. There's another word for new that just means fresh and young, novel. But this new, something a bit more to this. See, that there, there's other times, the majority of times when it uses this word new, it's talking about in time. So it's fresh, it's young, it's novel. But this kenos is talking about new in quality. And so whenever, whenever Paul is using this language, the new has come, he is using a word that is, say, that is saying that it is fresh in development. This is fresh in opportunity. He's saying this is, there has been nothing found exactly like this before. And it adds extra weight to the whole conversation we finished with last week around, around new wineskin. We want to be part of the new thing that God wants to do and is doing. The, the content never changes. The story of the gospel, it never changes. But the wineskins need to change. For us to contain what he wants to do, we need a new wineskin, something that is fresh in development something that is fresh in opportunity, something that nothing like this has been seen before. We're in day, we're living in a time that nothing like what we're seeing has been seen before. And so we need to be a people that can respond with something that is not found exactly like this before, something that is unprecedented, something that is unheard of. That is who we are when we're in Christ this newness in us. We are a people who are new and fresh. We are fresh in development. He is continuing to develop you. He is continuing to, to help you and allow you just to work this all out. You are fresh in development. You are fresh with opportunity this morning. So regardless of what age you are, regardless of how you're feeling this morning, you are, if you are in Christ, the old is passing away and the new has come or the new is emerging. But if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You are new and you are fresh with opportunity this morning. There is nothing like, exactly like you. There is no one. There's nothing that has ever been like you ever before. You are unprecedented. None like you. Fresh in development. Fresh in opportunity. The new has come. The Greek is the the original is that it is an it is emerging see it's not just a one-off moment it's just not a a static point in time that paul is referring to that maybe we read it in our english and we see the the old is gone and the new has come it's almost like this is a one-off moment but it's not campy i would feel pretty hopeless if this was a one-off moment 
if we're saying that the old is gone and the new has come. And sometimes I think about how I prioritize my week and I'm like, oh my, surely not. Surely this is not as new as it gets. And I think the original would suggest that you are new. You're fresh in development. You're fresh in opportunity. There is language around this word emerging. It's a transitioning from point to point. This is not a one-off. It's not static. It's not passive. It's active. See, there's an ongoing. And I think this, this brings hope to me. There's an ongoing. An ongoing letting, letting go of the old and taking hold of the new. There's a continuing letting go of the old ways and the old ways of thinking and being invited into the new. And if we reflect back a few chapters, you'd see in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that Paul uses, we are being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another with ever-increasing glory. It's not a one-off moment. It's transient. It's transitioning from point to point. And so he is going to keep on creating. The Father is going to keep on resetting. He's going to keep on reforming. And he's going to keep on inviting you to come close. He's going to keep on inviting you to respond, to experience, to be part of all that he is doing. To be a part of all that he wants to accomplish through you. This is a stunning invitation. And remove your old way of thinking. Cannot think that you're not worth it. Cannot think that my behavior this week does not warrant being invited into the new thing. Don't think like that. There's no condemnation for those in Jesus. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Just need to take hold of that afresh maybe this morning. Take hold of the significance of what it means to be in him, to belong to him, to be formed and shaped by his power, to belong to the body of Christ. You just need to take hold of that again. Get rid of that old way of thinking that it's all about how you've behaved, that it's all about performance. It's not. It's all about his grace. It's all about his goodness and his mercy. And he extends it over and over again. And he would even extend it again this morning. He's always good. You will never exaggerate. You will never over-exaggerate his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his love, his feelings toward you. You can't do it. And so he's always working. He was always doing it in Isaiah's time. He was doing it at Paul's in Paul's time. And he's still at it now. Making all things new. And inviting us to be a part of what that is. Let me read a wee bit more. So that you grasp a bit of what this invitation involves. Verse 18. All this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though we were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. See, I, I read that verse again this morning. We are his ambassadors. You are those that represent, you represent Jesus. You are the ones now that represent the family name on earth. If you're in Christ, you're representing him on earth. But there's something about that language. We are now his ambassadors. And somebody will only be an ambassador. As we think of all that is going on politically around the world, somebody that is appointed as an ambassador will only be appointed as an ambassador because they have the, they have the utmost trust from those that are sending them. As I read that this morning and felt, felt God just, just remind me of that, 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 is, that is almost too much for me to take in. That he trusts me. That whenever he says that you're his ambassador, he's actually saying, I trust you. I, tr- I am entrusting this ministry of reconciliation to you. And I trust that you can do it. I trust that you can carry out this ministry. What a thing this morning to be able to be entrusted. I'm, I'm in the middle of where me and Judith are going through the adoption process at the minute. We're, we're having to remember so much of, our, of, of life growing up, of our teenage years and, and work and school life and all of that. There's something as I've thought about like growing up playing football and being asked to be a, 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 a captain in football. Growing up and getting older in the ministry and dad giving me some more responsibilities. Do you know, it's, it's, that, it's that level and something beautiful whenever somebody gives you a responsibility. Somebody gives you the captaincy of a football team and saying, I, I trust you. I trust you with this. It's a big deal. And it's nice when dad does it and it's nice when a football manager does it. It's nice when somebody above you entrusts you with something else because they find you trustworthy and able to do it. But whenever Father, God, Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, all-knowing, all-powerful, would say to you this morning that I trust you. I have entrusted you as an ambassador of this ministry of reconciliation. That's huge. That's a really big deal. And so if you are still struggling to recognize who you are, even this morning, if you're still struggling to recognize what it is that you've been called to, what it is that you've been invited to, then we just need to read five, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 over and over again. Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin. God didn't went, he did all that he could. He did everything possible to restore you to relationship with himself. He did all that for you. He did it because you're such valuable, you're of such worth. And he did it because he had something for you to do. And if you're still struggling to recognize who you are and what you've been called to, he made a way so that in Christ you would become the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. 
And so that, that difficult person, as we think of those that we are called to reconcile with, that difficult person that you know in your family, in work, in your neighborhood, that difficult person that is in a situation of sin that they just can't get out of, do you know what God has called you to be? To, God has called you to be to them the righteousness of God. Not withholding their sin against them. So those that are still in sin, those that are far from Jesus, those that are lost without hope, without knowing the songs of hope and the songs of joy, the songs that bring freedom. To every one of them, you are the righteousness of God to them. Not holding their sin against them. And again, all of this sounds like we've read seven verses, seven or eight verses. It takes us maybe two minutes to read takes us 30 minutes to talk a wee bit through that. It, takes, it can take years for that to become real. It can take years because it's not going to be quick. No point in me saying all this, talking about transformation and it's saying, suggesting that it's going to be quick, that it's going to be painless, that it's going to be without sacrifice. It's going to be all of those things. But transformation never is quick. It never is painless. It's never without sacrifice, but it's worth it. And I think there's people in this room that can testify to that. And so I'll finish with this. Again, I've said this a few times. The breaks sometimes in the chapters uh, of, of, our, of our Bibles can sometimes be unfortunate. But I'd encourage you that any time you're reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, read right through to the first two verses of chapter 6. Here's what it says. For we are as God's fellow workers. So we become the righteousness of Christ. And as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And we could spend so much more time going into that. But we've looked at that Greek word, that Greek word for new being kenos. The Greek word for now here is kairos. And we sort of fell in love with this word a wee bit a number of months ago. But this Greek word is saying that there is a right time. There is an opportune moment. And it feels like that is, is real in this time, this season that we're living in. He's doing something, he's doing something new. It's fresh. You are fresh in opportunity. You're fresh in development. And as he is inviting you into that newness, he's also going even further to say there's a, there's a moment here to grab. There's a right time. There's an opportune moment. And so, Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, what you... Reveal to us, God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would, you would do that. Where I have failed, that you would enlighten, that you would empower, that you would encourage, that you would challenge. And uh, we just worship you. We love you. We pray that we would uh, continue to be transformed. We continue to lay aside the old, take up the new. 
You know, we see that that we're living in a time where we need something new. We're living in a time where we need something now. We worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name.